Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. Try Untucket for yourself. Visit untucket.com and use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. Blue Wire. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I sit down with Lindsay Turk, Senior Product Strategist at NFL Media. Lindsay talks to us about how she got into the world of sports, her most rewarding and challenging products that she's worked on, and the importance of finding your unique strengths. You guys are going to love this one, and you'll get a little bit of an inside look on all those game day products you love with NFL Media. So without further ado, let's get to it. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today on Get My Job. Uh, my pleasure. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. This is really fun. As you know, this podcast is very much for women who work in sports, who want to work in sports, and I am excited to talk about what you do with the NFL, as I know our listeners will be as well. So I'll just jump right in. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what it means to be a product strategist for NFL media? And what, what does that entail for you? And what, what specific things are you working on? Sure. Um, so NFL Media is the division of the NFL that houses both NFL Network and all of our digital properties. So um, I sit on the digital side, and you may be familiar with NFL Fantasy, NFL.com, our NFL mobile app, etc. Um, that's our whole suite of digital products, and that's the team that I sit on. So each of our products has um, a dedicated product manager, project manager, and an engineering lead. And I sit in parallel to all of those teams. So I try to make sure that we have our overarching strategy across our portfolio of products aligned to our single focus and to our North Star. So I help ensure that we follow all of our business rules and our partnerships. I work a lot with our teams in New York that draw up the contracts that ultimately could influence features in our products. Um, I work with our affiliate team and make sure that we're you know, showing NFL Network and streaming games in the right way, um, all sorts of things that relate to the business side as they result in our digital products, um, and also working with our teams to make sure that we're executing all of our obligations in a way that makes the most sense for our products and for our fans, um, and that while we're doing that, we have a unified strategy across our portfolio. Fantastic. And, and I'm so glad you explained that because for those of us that are consuming all of the content and everything that the NFL has to offer on the media side. It's just great to know kind of what's going on behind the scenes and who's there's someone working all that. So, you know, that, that's just kind of fun to learn about. Was it always your goal to take the skill set you have and um, work in the world of sports? Um, 
So I was a little bit all over the map when I was younger. I wanted to do a whole bunch of things, but I knew that I loved sports. So in college, when I started to hone in on my future and on my path, I actually applied to an internship at um, a startup sports blogging website and turned it down in favor of a different internship that gave me a little bit more of an understanding of the media landscape and of entertainment. And I pivoted a little bit. I always wanted to get into sports in the back of my mind, but I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to do it. So I focused on my skill set and figured out how do I strengthen myself and make myself the best candidate so that in the future I could leap into the world of sports. And that was that was the path that I followed. How have you seen the digital product landscape change over the years? It's interesting because I feel like there's been a huge shift towards digital, even just in the past few years. Obviously, TV is very strong and it's the primary way that people consume sports, but more and more, the eyeballs and the viewership are shifting to um, digital products, streaming products, over-the-top products that live outside of the cable bundle. Um, Really interesting to see how companies are coming out, traditional TV companies are coming out and offering their own digital standalone product that you can buy outside of the cable bundle. So whether that's uh, Disney or NBC, you know, sort of following the Netflix model and figuring out the next wave of consumption and seeing how digital is really just growing and how the ad dollars are shifting towards digital. And then the secondary experience, so not just the live streaming and not just the on-demand streaming, but the companion that you get. I'm watching something on my larger screen what am I doing on my phone at the exact same time? How am I interacting with this program? How am I interacting with this game? Um, fantasy is obviously a huge piece of that. You know, as you're watching our games, how is fantasy drawing you in and giving you a closer look and a better understanding through the game that you're playing? And how have you seen it change just in terms also of people at games? Because oftentimes you have spectators live at the event who are also spending a lot of time at the event on their phone watching replays, ordering food, looking for stats, like you said, looking for fantasy. At what point did you see that kind of change? Um, so I think I've seen it slowly over the last couple of years, but definitely more recently in the last year, year and a half. I think there's been a big focus on how do we integrate a stadium experience into our club apps? You know, what's the offering? Do clubs want to offer mobile ordering for food in, in their apps? Do they want to have, you know, their Ticketmaster accounts link to the app so that you can do mobile entry and sort of re-examining apps used to be more of a content play. It was how I consumed news about my team. It was how I checked their schedule. And now all of a sudden it's an immersive experience that I take with me into the stadium and that I use to find out where's the closest uh, concession stand. How do I order a jersey to my seat? And how do I do all of these things that really just enhance your convenience while you're enjoying the game? So before I was 49ers fangirl, I like to say this, before I was 49ers fangirl, I was 49ers fangirl, just a fan who's a girl, um, <laughs> 49ers game. So before the press box in the field and all of those amazing things, I sat in the stands at Levi's Stadium. And that was the first time I'd experienced it was when that stadium opened. And I remember thinking, like, this is so cool. I can enter the stadium from my phone. I can order food. I can talk about, to, like, find out where the closest come store is, all of that kind of stuff. Was Levi's one of the first or was that happening beforehand? Do you know? So I'm not as close to the exact club's landscape. What I would say from my observation is that if they weren't the first, they were the first to fully embrace it as an A to Z experience for fans. 
Um, and they definitely came in with a strong feeling of we want this to be a digital first, fully immersive experience and everything at the fingertips of our fans for convenience within the app. And they've done an amazing job of doing it. So switching gears a little bit, we're going to come back to specific products a little bit later. But as I said at the beginning, this is very much a podcast for women who work in sports and women who want to work in sports. And you talked about how in the beginning you took somewhat, uh, you know, you did a bunch of different things before you ended up in the world of sports. Looking back on that now, and if you're talking to young women now or young men, honestly, who want to work in the world of sports, do you have advice for them on the best way to get a career like that going? Uh, yeah, I've talked to people all the time about my path. And what I've told them is, you know, focus on something that you're really good at and develop those skills and make yourself invaluable so that you can then apply them to a position in sports. So I think when I was younger or when a lot of people are young and eager to get into sports, they just, they really want to work in sports and that's their whole focus. But I think that there are ways of developing skill sets either totally outside of sports. Like I worked in finance for the first four years of my career and really developed a deep analytical understanding and I learned how to develop strategies and that's what propelled me into my current career. I think for people, there are so many ways to get involved in sports, whether it's directly with a team or with a league, or if it's, if you're really good at marketing, maybe there's an agency that focuses on sports marketing. Maybe you can work for a media company that broadcasts games and has pregame shows and postgame shows. Like there are so many different ways to develop a strong skill set and then use that to pivot into the world of sports. Um, and I think that that's a really important lesson because when I was younger, I thought the only way to get into sports was to work for a team or to work for a league. And now I see there's so many touch points mm-hmm. and it's really about figuring out where your skills are going to be the best. So this is something that I, I like to Sundays are a big day for you. Um, and I, during the season, you work on Sundays. <laughs> you know, you have to at least be on call <laughs> on Sundays. Uh, I work on Sundays. And, and it's not so easy to always keep that balance. And so something we talk a lot about on this, this podcast is the idea that you can't be in perfect balance all of the time. But how do you manage that? Balancing life at home, life with friends, work life, and just finding a way to get it all done, even if you can't do it all, all at the same time. Did that make sense? That was such a circuitous way to ask that question. <laughs> um, no, it makes total sense. I mean, I'm very lucky that my husband is super understanding and he knows that, you know, come end of August through, let's call it November time, Sundays, he's taking care of everything at home. He's taking care of our daughter. Uh, Monday nights, Thursday nights, I'm kind of, you know, not available when I get together with friends. I'm like, it has to be a Tuesday or a Wednesday. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, But on the flip side, there's a great understanding that when the season is over, at least here at the NFL, there's a lot of flexibility and understanding that we give so much of our lives in season. And so people are really great about giving you back the time that you need. So that's the time that I go furniture shopping or take care (laughs) of like, you know, my life things. Yeah, maybe it has to wait till April. But if it's not something urgent, it's it's super easy to be able to shift back and forth because in the off season people are much more understanding. And if it is super urgent, I think I just learned like everyone here has a life. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a family, friends, things that come up, and people are really great about knowing. Okay, you're on call for us 99% of the time. When you need that 1% of the time to yourself, people are great about just 
you know, giving you your space and sort of filling in for you. Um, and it's a great environment to be in. I used to, um, in the beginning, people have pretty much caught on now, but I cannot tell you how many times the first couple years that I would get texts that were like, can you do brunch on Sunday? Like, it's October. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> um, exactly. And it would drive me crazy. But, you know, that's okay. <laughs> it would um, it'd be funny. Or how about the other one that was always my favorite, too, was can you do dinner because the game will be over? I'm like, right, but the game's in Baltimore. So, so, no, <laughs> so I'm not going to make it for that. Um, the best so. is the Sundays when people are like, can you do it after 1 o'clock? How about after 4.30? Oh, oh okay, but wait, there's a game at night also? Yeah, there's, it never yeah. stops. Nonstop. And for me, I'm writing after a game, so there's a lot of confusion about that too. Like, well, can you grab – because I have a lot of friends that will, like, maybe go up to the bay for a game or whatever – um, and we'll say like, well, can you grab a drink after? Can you grab dinner? I'm like, I'm really not. I'm not done for like three hours after. And they'll go, you're such a fan. I'm like, no, no, I'm working. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not just like sitting there analyzing for three hours for fun. Um, but it makes me laugh. But it's funny because people who don't work in this industry don't think about it. And it's something we talk a lot about on this podcast because for most people, and it's understandable, game day starts when you get to that stadium and it ends when you leave. And for those of us that work in sports, it's pretty much a full day. Game day is a full day event, uh, even if you're covering one game. So I always like talking about that and getting different anecdotes from people because, you know, it does make us laugh. And I also think it's important to know that when you want to work in sports. It's not easy. We all love sports and it's fun, but it's not an easy job. And it's not just for the three hours of a game. There's a lot that goes into it, and I just think that's an important aspect of it that people don't always realize when they're getting into that world. Yeah, and one note on that is I think people think when I come to the office on Sunday, they're like, oh, that's so awesome. You're just, you know, sitting watching every single game and enjoying football. And I'm like, yeah, in theory, I wish, but there's usually something going on that we have to address and deal with. And after the first three hours, we turn to each other and we're like, what happens to that whole slate of games? You know, you're busy. You're actually running mm -hmm. around. And sometimes we lament the fact that, we didn't enjoy kickoff at all this year. We didn't see kickoff. We were dealing with an issue, and all of us tuned in at the fourth quarter. So right. uh, sometimes that's a challenge, too, as a fan, is when it becomes your job, you don't get to enjoy it in the same way. And that's the thing that I think is an important distinction about loving sports and wanting to work in sports. Do you love it, and do you love the idea of working in it? Because it's one thing to love it and want that to be your hobby. But the, I just think those are important things that people don't always think about. So I'm glad that you brought some of those up and that we are able to discuss them today. It's a great distinction because um, I love football, but now that I work in football, I found that my appreciation for baseball and basketball has taken on a new focus because I can really kick back and enjoy those games when I'm watching them in a different mm -hmm. way than when I'm either watching football on TV if I happen to be on call, if I happen to be working, or even if I'm at the stadium, I'm usually working. So I have a totally different perspective. Um, and it just, it, like you said, it changes the whole game for you. It really doesn't. It's funny, when the Dodgers lost game five of the division series this year, I was like devastated. I didn't cry, but which, is, <laughs> by the way, I'm not, I'm not I did. above crying because I'm not, but I, I came <laughs> close. I have to say there were, there were tears in my eyes. I were definitely was teary. I mean, I didn't cry, but I, definite tears in my eyes but when the 49ers lost the Super Bowl and I am 49ers fangirl so obviously I am a 49ers fan but it's different now 
that's my job. And certainly I would have preferred for them to win, but the game ended and I was like, well, now I have a job to do. I got more of a job to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I got in the locker room and I got to talk to these people and I got to write a story. And so it's just kind of, it, it's funny. I agree with you on that. Like my appreciation for baseball and basketball has become even greater. And I would say in some ways I've become even a bigger Dodger fan over the years since I started doing this, because when I go to Dodger games, I'm like truly there as just a fan. And mm-hmm. you know, that's it's, an, it's nice to have that balance since we were talking about balance earlier. Um, and I'm glad we were both, you know, misery loves company. I'm glad we were both so upset about the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> New year, Lindsay. Still hurts. New year. <laughs> it still hurts. Um, so, Kind of uh, going back a little bit to a little bit of like what you're doing, you know, on a day-to-day basis and things that you've worked on. I have kind of a two-part question. Actually, it's not even kind of a two-part question. It's just a two-part question. What has been <laughs> maybe one of the most rewarding products or campaigns you've worked on? And then what has been one of the most challenging? And you can answer those in either order you would like. Um, well, so I think one of the most rewarding things that I worked on, and there have been a lot, so uh, it's hard to pick. But when I first joined the NFL, I was working on Game Pass Domestic in its first year. So it was a new product launch. And we were trying to figure out how do we get this product to market? And I mean that start to finish. Literally, how do we ship out this product? <laughs> um, but also, how do, we tell friends, how do we tell fans what it is? What's the messaging? Um, what are the right channels? What's the right way to get this to fans? And Game Pass is a very complicated product because it has every single game available on demand. It has live games available in preseason, but not in regular season. It has live audio of every game. It has NFL Network show libraries. There's a lot going on, and we had to try to figure out what is it that we put forward in this product? How do we get fans interested? How do we get them hooked? You know, just how do we get this out there? Should we be heavily focusing on TV advertising? Should this be a digital campaign? Sort of a lot of up-in-the-air questions, um, a lot of questions about what do we feature on our website? You know, what do we lead with on the features section? How do we, just how do we make this clear to people what this is? And it was a lot of work. Um, we came down to the wire of the launch in preseason, but at the end of the day, it was wildly successful, and we um, far exceeded our our goals for the first season. So all that hard work really paid off. And I felt like, oh, this is amazing. People figured out what this is and they use it and they like it. And it was such a feeling of relief and of accomplishment. So uh, I have to rank that pretty high up there. Totally fair. Um, One of the most challenging, I think, uh, probably involves this past season when we were trying to bring live games to club apps. just as far as all of the technical restrictions and the business restrictions, and we, ha- we were doing this on a shortened timeline. And unfortunately, like, we got it done, but we didn't get it done the way that we wanted to. If we had more runway and all the time in the world and all the developers in the world, we may have gone a different direction. Um, so the nice thing is we're taking this off-season to do a reset and figure out how can we make this better. Um, but yeah, it was definitely hard with a shortened timeline and a very complicated business and technical landscape uh, of how do we get these games out there. I can, I can imagine that sounds like, you know, that sounds like it would be. And is it, is that frustrating? Are you able to say, you know what, we learned a lot and I'm excited to do a reset and and make it even better for next season. Yes. I think we learned a ton. And one of the interesting things about our group is we sit at the intersection of a lot of different internal teams 
So we work with our business development team in New York, as I mentioned. Um, and then we work with our clubs teams here who are liaisons directly to the clubs because right now they run their own apps. So they can work with any vendor. They happen to, it happens to be that there are a couple of vendors that are preferred amongst our, um, our clubs, but um, some vendors only work with one club. And when we want to try to implement anything, it means we need to make sure that we're implementing it across each of these vendors and doing it in a consistent way. Um, and that's hard. You know? So it's something that can get frustrating at times, but we have a really great team here, and the team understands the digital space so well that we just we take it in stride, and we're very creative, and we get things done. Well, that's, and that's what matters at the end of the day. <laughs> you get things exactly. done. Exactly. That is what matters. Um, over the course of your career, have you had a mentor or mentors, and it doesn't have to be female, it could be male mentors, female mentors, but anybody that's really kind of helped you along the way that you can still go to for advice? Yes, I think throughout my career I've had mentors, and they've been a huge help for me, um, especially with trying to balance life personally and professionally. Talking to someone who's been there and done that, um, you know, I, I think that's an invaluable resource. And what I found with my mentors is, People are really happy when you approach them. They're happy to help you. They're happy to be there for you and to shed some of their experience, uh, sorry, share some of their experience uh, and shed light, <laughs> shed light on the industry and on different things. Um, so I've had a number of different mentors. One mentor, though, who I think really made the biggest impact on me being where I am right now is someone named Scott Grogan. I'd been working at Fox at the time. And he was the SVP of communications at Fox. And he was my mentor. And I sort of knew that my end goal was always to get into the world of sports. And I was working at Fox Networks, focusing on the sports portfolio for the um, distribution strategy team. But an opportunity came up at the NFL. And I was very torn because I loved my group. I loved my job. And I was really happy and comfortable at Fox. And I could see a path for my future. Uh, and I was talking to him. And I remember him telling me, this is what I've always wanted. And I was still in a place in my career where if I take the plunge and it doesn't work out, it's not going to blow up my whole future. Mm -hmm. I can sort of just reset and start over. And what, what he said to me was really what I needed to hear because I was almost ready to take the plunge, but I was a little nervous. And I took the plunge and I've been here for five years ever since. So I'm very grateful to him for giving me that little nudge. That's awesome. And sometimes it's the hardest thing is to leave comfortable for the uncomfortable, but oftentimes it does work out. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. The hardest thing is to give up something that's comfortable and stable. And you know, I had a great team, and I loved the person who I worked for. Um, but ultimately, my dream in life was not to work in distribution strategy forever. It was to really take that strategic piece of me and work in sports. Well, then that was a good move. <laughs> so <that's> <laughs> yep, <laughs> worked out well. Thank you, Scott. That's why we're sitting here having this podcast today. So I'm going to say thank you to Scott as well, because that's why you're here. <laughs> yep. So early on in your career, I uh, mean, whether it be at Fox or I know you said you worked in finance or anywhere else, was there a criticism that you received early on that while tough to take at the time, really helped to make you better at what you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... Pretty young in my career, I was still in that stage of trying to prove myself. And I worked in an office that was pretty much all males. 
I was the only one on the investment side that was female. Um, I worked in a small office. It was private investments. And I was always trying to prove myself. And someone who I worked with had pointed out to me that I need to take ownership of my mistakes. Um, and it really stung at the time. Fair. Uh, but I, I realized that I was, I was young and I was eager. And instead of ever admitting to a mistake, I was trying to reframe it, reshape it, try to make it seem like it was something good and something positive. Um, but after I received that feedback, I took a step back and I realized I actually gained a lot more respect from my peers and from my manager when I was able to own up to a mistake and then go fix it as opposed to trying to talk my way around it. And I thought that I was making myself sound better and smarter because I could explain away everything. But, you know, there are a lot of people in the room much smarter than me, and I learned a good lesson from that. Would you say that that's kind of good advice for someone, too, and that sometimes you grow most from your mistakes and maybe to not be afraid to make them, but if you do own them and just move forward? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think at the time I was so afraid of making a mistake because I already felt insecure about being the youngest person on the team, the only female on the team, and I just thought mistakes would reflect negatively on me. Um, but throughout my career, I've learned that when you actually make a mistake, that's the thing that sticks with you and you remember the next time. I mean, one thing that came out of being told to own my mistakes was I never wanted to make another mistake. So <laughs> when I was putting together a model or a spreadsheet, I was triple checking that thing because every number has to be perfect. Um, obviously, it wasn't always perfect, but it was a good lesson for me. I learned how to be more thorough. I learned how to be more focused. So for sure, I do think that learning from your mistakes is so important. Over the years, who have been some people either that you've worked with, worked alongside, have seen from afar that have really inspired you? Oh, wow. Um, there are so many. <laughs> it's funny because I'm actually, so I'm a little bit of a history nerd. Oh, that's and someone, someone who's inspired me, who I, I never obviously worked alongside him, never knew him personally, but his story always resonated with me and always inspired me. Um, and it's probably not your typical answer. That's okay. Uh, but his name is Dory Miller. And when I was in college, I actually focused on World War II as my major, like okay. that time frame. And he was a cook on the USS West Virginia in Pearl Harbor, and he was there during the attack. Uh, so he was a cook. He had no actual combat training. But when the attack started, he ran up to the deck. He actually helped carry... Um, the captain to safety and then at a certain point he ended up manning a gun with no formal training and shooting the gun until they ran out of ammunition and they were told to jump ship uh wow. crazy story that is a crazy and later he received yeah he so he received the navy cross and his story always resonated with me ever since i had heard it because it taught me that you don't really have to stand on the sidelines and be limited by what you're told your place or your task is um, you know, he stepped up and he took charge when he needed to. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who think you need to know your place. And I completely agree with that. But there are also times where you need to push the boundaries and step up. And his story just always, I always think of that. That's awesome. That is a great story. It's not the typical answer, but I love it. 
really and that is a great story. And it it is a really important lesson sometimes. It kind of a little bit going back to what we were just talking about. Sometimes you can push the boundaries and be wrong, but sometimes you still have to try. And mm -hmm. that's an you know very important lesson for people um throughout life, no matter what they're doing. So I love that answer. <laughs> As you look to see, and you see women trying to break into the sports industry now, and to be honest, it doesn't have to just be women, it could be men as well. Is there a misstep that you're seeing people make that you would like them to avoid? Yeah, so I've met with a lot of people who, you know, they're in college, they're majoring in sports management or something along those lines, and they'll meet with me for coffee, informational, and they wanna know, how do I break into the world of sports? I'm willing to do anything. Uh, and I think this kind of touches on what we spoke about earlier. I definitely think eagerness is good and willingness to take a role where you'll, you know, your roll up your sleeves and you'll do anything is great, but don't sell yourself short. Um, I think that you need to figure out what your unique strength is and sell yourself based on those experiences and what makes you most qualified. So I think that's similar to what we were saying about people who just want to get into sports, but there are other avenues. It, it's kind of the same narrative. And I would give that same advice of willingness to do anything is good, but you need to figure out what makes you a unique candidate because everyone is willing to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to shine and you need to figure out what makes you different and what makes you special so that you will be the uncontested candidate who everyone wants for that job. That's great advice. That is, that's fantastic advice. Uh, and one more before we head into my favorite part of the of podcast, which is five fun facts. Uh, my last question for you is how have you seen opportunities change and grow for women in sports and where do you feel we can still improve? So I've been at the league, like I mentioned, for five years. And when I first started here, uh, the number of women on my floor, not across the league, because every team is different, but the number of women on my floor, we used to joke that you could probably count us on, on two hands. Mm -hmm. um, and now I look around and I see so many women just on that same one floor. And it's, it's amazing to me how people are really being hired for their abilities, regardless of gender, regardless of anything else. When, a, when an opportunity opens up, if a woman is the most qualified, a woman gets the job. And I'm seeing that more broadly across sports. You know, you see women in coaching and um, women playing sports and bringing women's sports to the forefront. And I think that that all has led to, you know, a lot more balance and a lot more great opportunities for women. Um, I think things like the women's national soccer team being the best in the world, or the dominance of the UConn Huskies women's basketball team over the past two decades, different things like that that really illustrate that women have a place in the world of sports, it trickles down. It has a trickle-down effect. And um, five years ago when I was interviewing, someone had asked me, are you an avid fan? And it was a casual question, but I felt like, why wouldn't I be an avid fan? Mm -hmm. uh, and the implication was, you know, are, are women avid fans? Are they, you know, you never played the sport? Could you be an avid fan? Um, and I think that that has changed. I think now people see you can have as much avidity and as much love of the game, whether you played it or not. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also a place where we still have room for growth. I think there's a little bit of a, a misunderstanding of women's love of sports or women's understanding of sports, whereas for some of the men, I think it's just more of a given. People still say to me sometimes, oh, my gosh, I'm shocked at, you know, how much you know about baseball and I like laugh I'm like okay why is that shocking yeah why is that um, that's a good question why is that shocking <laughs> yeah so I think I think there's still a little bit of an uphill battle there but definitely in the workplace I'm seeing that 
people understand much more. You can understand and appreciate and excel in sports, even if you didn't play them or even if you didn't play that sport. Like, I, I still think that we are strong candidates and people are beginning to understand that and more and more beginning to understand women's roles in sports broadly. I still sometimes when I tell people what I do, there are many people who say to me, wow, are you a sports fan? I was like, well, this, yes. Why would I, why would I do, I mean, why would I have started this? You know, if I wasn't a sports fan. The follow-up is, did you have, do you have brothers? And, and I do have brothers, but it's just no one asks boys, men that. No one. No one ever asks. Them. Yeah. But so we have my, my favorite. Sorry. Yeah. My ahead. favorite question that I've gotten, my favorite question I've gotten when people ask me what I do for a living and I say I work for the NFL. Oh, I, this is the best answer I've ever got. Did you get that job for your husband? I was like, what? Why does me working in the NFL benefit my husband? Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, understand. What? What? Yeah, and um, the best also is when people say, oh, but do you like football? Do you follow football? Do we fo- no, I don't. Mm-mm. No, I don't even follow. No, what's that? Football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remind me. Is that the thing that goes to the hoop? What is that? Um, but I, I've had one person say to me three years ago, so not a long time ago, say to me, so you're telling me there are women who actually watch and like sports separate of a man? That oh, was, gosh. I think, I think to date, that is my favorite. Just because it's so shocking. I was like, it's 2016. I'm, it's, but, because I remember this was about a little over three years ago, but we're getting there. <laughs> we're making progress. Um, and I think yeah. you're right. You look around and there are so many more women in so many different jobs. And that is the thing we really want to drive home on this podcast. So many amazing things that you can do in the world of sports that your talents, you know, that maybe you don't think it's for sports, but there are a bunch of jobs. And as you said, more and more women are becoming prevalent in this industry, which is exciting. We have a ways to go, but still very, very exciting. I think that we're at an exciting time where um, more and more it's about your qualifications. But, you know, I, I'm excited to see what happens over the next 10, 15 years as people get over that, you know, do you like sports because of your brothers? <laughs> Such a funny question. Like, really, I like sports in spite of my brothers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do love my brothers. And they are big sports fans, but it was something we... <laughs> all enjoyed, not that they made me do. And then I started to like, it. Mm-hmm. um, so with that, we are coming to my favorite part of the episode and that is five fun facts. We ask every mm-hmm. day the same five fun facts every week. And, um, and it's been fun for lack of a better term. It's been fun because we do get all kinds of different answers, um, to the same questions. And that's really what's been interesting about it. So whenever you are ready, I will rattle them off for you. Yeah, go right ahead. All right, what is your favorite moment in sports? So um, it's more about a player than about a team. That's okay. But during the 2014 NFL season, the Raiders were on a 10-game losing streak. It had actually been over a year since their last uh, regular season win. They had won a little bit in preseason. Um, But it had been a long time, and they were hosting the Chiefs at home for TNF. And is during Charles Woodson's second, second stint with the team, and he is my all-time favorite Raider. 
uh, my all-time favorite football, football player. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was watching the game, and it was one of those games where, for one reason or another, the defense just came together and really played amazing that night. And Woodson sacked Alex Smith during the game to become the first and only player to have 50 interceptions and 20 sacks in his career. And uh, the Raiders blew a terrible lead, almost lost the game <laughs> in typical Raider fashion. Went on to win the game with a late uh, comeback scoring drive. And it was a really fun game, but it wasn't even about the win. It was really all about Charles Woodson. And he happened to have been mic'd up during that game. So I remember hearing him on the sideline talking about making history. And it was so awesome because as a fan, I felt like I was right there with him. And it was something I just never forgot. And I know it's not like, it's not a monumental game. The Raiders had a terrible season. <laughs> I think, I think they finished with four wins. Um, but just, I, I love Charles Woodson and I love being a part of that moment for him. Um, so it was, it was something I always remember. A close second would be uh, Clayton Kershaw's no hitter. Yeah. That was almost a perfect game, but yeah. I think I'm gonna have to go with Charles Woodson. That's fair. These are two players I can totally get behind, by the way. But um, that is that is great. And as a Michigan alum, I hold Charles Woodson near my heart, so I really like that one. It's a good one. What is your I life motto? Just for you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your life motto? Um, I don't know if this is considered a motto, but I think it would definitely have to be. So here are the options. Oh, that's a good one, actually. That's a really good one. I think that's a good motto. So here are the options. It's great because you know what? You got to work within your options. I think that's a great life motto. <laughs> Do you have a go-to workout? Spin class. Spin class? Yeah, but not at SoulCycle. Okay. It's spin class. Just spin class. All right. Fair enough. That is actually an important distinction. Mm-hmm. I'm not great at dancing on the bike, but I really like the biking part. That's fair. So, yeah. That's so fair. Luckily, in SoulCycle, that room is so dark, it's like you wouldn't even know if you were or you weren't. If you were to go to SoulCycle class, it wouldn't even matter. Exactly. I've I've gone to plenty of SoulCycle classes. I'm just not as coordinated with the, like, side to side and up and down. I'm like, eh, not my thing. Fair enough. That's, that's totally fair. Mm-hmm. Do you have a go-to coffee order? I have found in doing this podcast that not everyone drinks coffee, which is shocking to me. But do you drink coffee? And if so, do you have a go-to coffee order? I would not survive without coffee. Me either. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't get people who don't drink coffee, but good for them. Good for them as well. I, I have a go-to order. It is iced, skinny blonde vanilla latte, easy ice. Okay. I like that. That sounds actually delicious, and I may go order that tomorrow. That sounds real good. Um, I would recommend it. Yeah, that sounds sounds real good. And then last but not least, this is one of my favorite ones, a book that every woman should read. Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. I just love the title. <laughs> I will be adding that to my list today. <laughs> Um, nice girls don't get the corner office fantastic Lindsay thank you so much this was a lot of fun no it was great catching up and thank you for bringing me on your podcast 
Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Uh, And to our listeners, please do not forget to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes and to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And to everybody next week. Bye, all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.